0: I think there are ways that we can communicate more effectively, humbly, and authentically. What's it going to be like? when we win. I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, and this show is brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com who have been funding Right Angle for years and making it possible for us to do many other shows, which you will find at BillWhittle.com. You'll also find an opportunity to join there when you click the Big Green Become a Member button. Uh, Gentlemen, I got to thinking recently uh, about uh, the future and the ultimate triumph of our conservatism, our ideology, the way we see the world, the kind of society that we wish to see in the world. And um, I'm often frustrated, obviously, with the slow pace of getting there. And I wondered if there was any way to accelerate the pace of that change. Um, And and I realized because of my experience, my other job and my throughout life, I've been in one position or another where persuasion was uh, crucial to the work. That at some point, you've got to be able to make the positive case uh, for where you want somebody to go so that they'll want to go along with you. And um, and you can't get there strictly by bashing the competition, so to speak. And so I wanted to just focus for a little while on what you see as, um, first of all, the kind of the ideal better future that a conservative trajectory will uh, achieve for us. And then kind of what, what is the low-hanging fruit where we can begin to make the kind of connections that it'll take to, to achieve that future? And Stephen Green, let's start with you. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder who, is there anybody who really even wants to make this case? <laughs> is there anybody out there who's who's devoted to do this? I've read some books by people who uh, who are trying to do that, but they tend to have a very small slice of the pie uh, Steve, can you see, uh, first of all, how do you see the future uh, when conservatism is not only ascendant but triumphant and everybody is better off because of that? And then what do you think is kind of the the entry-level place where we can start so that we can get people there?
1: Well, let's talk about that entry-level place because, uh, number one, I think it's vital to save the nation to get to that entry-level, which I'm going to define for you here in just a moment. Um and after that, I'm not sure there really is an after that. And I'll, I'll explain that in a moment too. Look, for the, the this country's first hundred or so years, we didn't really have a, a statist party. And I mean statism. Um, we had a, a smaller government party and a bigger government party. And on some issues, they were kind of, uh, a mixed bag. It, the Democrats are a little more small government on this. Republicans were a little more small government on that. Um, and it wasn't until the rise of progressivism in the early 20th century that we had actual statism, big government controlling everything, top-down party of experts statism in this country. And it wasn't exclusive to either party. Uh, Back in the early 1900s, uh, you had Democrats and Republicans shouting, no, I'm more progressive. I'm more progressive. And it didn't matter which party they were. Progressivism, statism was the rage. And it continues uh, to infest both parties to greater or lesser degrees. The Democrats are totally caught up with it. Uh, I never, you know, if you would asked me five or six years ago, I, I, I would have slapped myself silly for even thinking this. But uh, Donald Trump, really, even though he's not much of a conservative, uh, has really done more than anybody else to root the progressives out of the GOP. Uh, in fact, we're taping this on, on Tuesday. Liz Cheney is about to get drubbed in the GOP primary in Wyoming. In fact, I saw an AP breaking news item this morning that said, and and I quote, that uh, they've already called the Wyoming GOP congressional primary for that lady who isn't Liz Cheney. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Here we are. Here we are after a, a century of increasingly huge government. And we have a, a Democrat party that I'm not talking about your average voter. I'm talking about the politicians uh, state level and, and in Washington who are absolutely corrupted with big state power, with with absolute statism. They're using transgender issues to separate uh, uh, children from their families in ways not even the Soviets dared to try. Uh, there's a great article on that by uh, Rod Roger and the American conservative, as you just everybody read it. Um, and the, the GOP is getting better. We still have our Mitt Romney's. We, we still have a lot of big government types, but we're weeding them out slowly. So the place that, that, that entry level win, as you called it, Scott, is there are still sensible Democrats. Uh, they want more government than I'm comfortable with, but I'm talking about people like Tulsi Gabbard, uh, I'm talking about writers, reporters like, uh, like Barry Weiss, who, still agree with the foundational principles of the United States, that the family is sacrosanct, that due process is not something you you can circumvent, that the First Amendment means what it says. These are the Democrats we can do business with, like Reagan and Tip O'Neill did back in the 80s. We're not going to agree on a lot, but we can at least agree on some of these foundational principles. And that entry-level victory, Scott, looks like the place, well, like it did in the 80s and uh, a lot of the 90s, where... We don't have to fight over, over absolute statism, over essentially totalitarianism that's, that has infested the Democrat Party. We get back to that place where it's a party we can negotiate again. And I don't know if there's a victory after that because as much as I would love conservatism to be triumphant, uh, there are always going to be hearts and minds that we can't win. There are always going to be people who want more government than we do, and we're going to have to negotiate with them. But we won't get to that point until enough Democrats kick the progressives out of their party and make it something sensible and American again.
0: Bill Whittle, I think Steve brings up a good point there. And, and part of the heart of this is when you try to imagine um, that better future, uh, the inclination, especially if you've been engaged in news and commentary about news incessantly, is just basically that the better picture is is America without those guys. Um, and you know, it's like hard to actually picture it in positive terms of, uh, of what that's, that looks like. And one of the things that occurs to me that is most difficult to imagine is a republic where we have freedom of speech, we have democratic processes for electing people, we have representative government, so we have discussion and debate but it is ruled with civility and in some senses, almost a charity and a kind of, I'm going to call it practical functionality. So, and I put that in my terms as a salesperson, again, it's, you know, it doesn't do me any good to have some strong opinion about something if it's going to to get in the way of me selling the product to the person I'm talking to. And so there's a practical functionality of me being able to say, okay, well, I am pretty sure you're an idiot about this, but we don't need to talk about that right now. (laughs) And so so can you envision not just a better future for this country, uh, but what does it look like when we're able to argue well?
2: Uh... (laughs) Well, let's start with the low-hanging fruit. Okay. Uh, Now we're talking about fruit that walks across the ground and starts tugging on your pants leg and asking if you could possibly please pick it up, and we just keep walking on past it. I've spent a lot of time uh, over the last 15 years uh, on YouTube watching both uh, gaming channels and pop culture channels, pop culture being things like Star Trek, Star Wars, mostly science fiction, that kind of thing, but pretty much any entertainment. And up until about two, three years ago, I went there to get away from politics. Uh, and then to my amazement and surprise and, uh, and happiness, I realized that politics was creeping into both of these things. And, and, and the politics that was creeping into it was not conservatism. What was creeping into gaming channels and pop culture channels was a thorough, deep seated rage at the, at the intrusion of, woke politics into things that had nothing to do with politics. So if you want to talk about low-hanging fruit, there are tens, if not hundreds of millions of young people who are not conservatives, but who nevertheless have no patience for this woke thing, absolutely despise it, despise the whole thing, despise all of it. And, and not just a little, they hate it. They genuinely do. Uh, I've argued before that gamers play video games because it gives them a place to act like conservatives. So it's not like there's no way to, to get these recruits into the tent. They're already there. We just got to let them know that this is the name on the tent. Uh, in terms of actually achieving this, the one of the things that I've been saying, I think really needs to be clear to people. And that is that we cannot lecture ourselves out of trouble that we got entertained into. And it's just that simple. They used entertainment to get their politics into our bloodstream Uh and, um, I know you've got an episode this week about, uh, 40th anniversary of ET. If, uh, if ET was made today, instead of him getting on the ship and flying away, he would have been killed by some Christian fundamentalist with an AR-15. And, and that's your lesson for today. And, and so, and so there you go. Um, so the, the thing that the left understands, Evan said, referred to it as rhetorical intelligence. And they know how to tell a story. So you've got to store your way out of it. As an extremely small example on this um, science fiction thing I'm working on, I have a scene right at the beginning with this guy who eventually takes his family off of Earth. Because you were saying a minute ago, it's like America without those people. Uh, that's really what you kind of have to show them. You kind of have to show them what America without those people looks like. And one of the things that makes this guy decide to take his family out of this place, is it's late at night and he's at at a 7-Eleven, he's set in the future, obviously, it's a convenience store. Then he's got some milk and stuff for his family, he goes to pay for it and they scan his arm or he puts his arm or whatever. And they say, I'm sorry, it's been declined. And the guy behind the counter says, I'm sorry, it's been declined. And the guy says, there's plenty of money in the account. He said, no, your credit score is not good enough, I can't sell this to you. And the guy says, oh, for God's sake, you know, what what the hell am I supposed to do? And the guy says, we can go over and vote, you get 15 points for that. And in the corner is a big old electronic thing looks kind of like a casino thing and you go over there and vote, vote for president. And uh he votes and it's like, now nah, I'm gonna try again. Votes two times, three times. Yeah, after the fourth vote that he that he gives for the right party, his credit score is raised enough for him to be able to get the stuff to get out of there. And and so that's how the elector that's how the electoral system in America functions now, with mail-in voting and, and lack of ID and all the rest but go vote as many times as you need to to raise your credit score and then you're then you're golden. Uh, the most important point here is that uh, is that the, your your premise, I think, is, is flawed because we all want to think this way. We will never win, ever. There will never, ever, ever come a point where we will be able to say we did it. And this is the mistake that we continue to make. We saw this when Trump was elected. Hey, Trump's elected, problem solved. We will never win. We cannot win. We can't win because of the laws of thermodynamics. Long term win. Put your feet up, relax, win. You know, hey, look, we won. That day will never come. And the reason it will never come is because it's easier to give people money than it is to work for it. It's easier to tax a company than it is to run a company. It is easier to do all of these things that the progressives are offering than it is to do the things that conservatives are. I said early in my career that they're giving away free candy and we're trying to sell vegetables. And that's okay. When you go out to mow the lawn and you put your lawnmower away, the grass starts growing immediately. The grass never stops growing. You've got to mow that lawn all the time. Rust never sleeps. It's a rock that we have to pull up, push up the hill every single day. And our only reward for it is to get it to the top. Tomorrow we got to do it again. Entropy works in favor of the left. Things can run down and we're seeing them run down all the time. The opposite of having things run down is to build things, and that requires effort and maintenance, and these things are daily, hourly, second-by-second duties that we will never be able to escape. So if you think the day comes when we are finally be able to put our feet up and say, hey, we beat them, that's just the moment when they're beginning to take most advantage of of the fact that we're the people who want to be left alone, and they're the people that cannot tolerate leaving people alone.
0: Well, of course, as you probably surmised by now, I would not define victory as in that those terms. I don't, um, not as childlike to think that someday we're going to come to a point where nobody has to exert any effort, and all of a sudden, all our ideas will be ascended and triumphant and pervasive. Um, I, I do think that there is there is a worthy objective that we can strive for that goes beyond simple electoral victories. I put little stock in electoral victories. Frankly, I've seen enough of politics from close up and from far away to uh, that I do not strap myself to any particular candidate and think that he or she is going to be the salvation of this country. Um, That's just not the way it works either. My concern for this country is not necessarily that everybody doesn't agree with me. My concern for it is that we have somehow found no way to work out our differences. Uh, Apparently, the only way to work out our differences is to basically say that the other party is not interested in working out their differences, whichever side you're on. The other party is not interested. They're only interested in power. They want to be the boss, and I don't want them to be the boss. And I think we can do better. I think that there is a future where people are more free. I think there is a future where we have a country that is not only more just, but in which people generally agree agree that what justice is and that it pervades the country and that the, uh, Injustice is a violation of the norm and exceedingly rare. I think that there is a country where people can pursue their dreams and uh, find uh, ways to do that that are remunerative, that they are able to earn money while pursuing the things that they're truly good at and that they enjoy doing. And I think that there is a world not without conflict, not without wars for that matter, but a, a world where there is more clarity than there is now because the country is is unified in a way that we haven't been for many years, perhaps since, you know, the moonshot days uh, where we all seem to kind of come together, not everybody, but most people seem to come together and say, this is a good thing. It's worth pursuing. People of all kinds worked on the project and we achieved something together, not because government was running it primarily, but because it was a worthy objective that we could pursue together. And, And that's what I'm more interested in is not just, hey, why can't we we all get along and therefore I will cash in all my beliefs and go along with yours so that we can all be happy. I think that there is a way to, uh, to work out a society where people can debate well where people can trust in the fundamental institutions of governance where people can find a uh, a culture that is broadly supportive of happy society and i th- and i think that we need to be more focused on that and we need to be more effective at selling that and not just to say hey, you know, don't eat that guy's breakfast cereal, eat my breakfast cereal. That guy's will give you worms. Mine will make you feel like Superman. I, I think there are ways that we can communicate more effectively, humbly, and authentically. Um, it reminded me, and, and I hate to go back to this guy because he's just such a touchstone that everybody goes back to him, uh, but it reminded me of the end of uh, Ronald Reagan's farewell speech to the nation in January of uh, 1989. And he said this, and I'll finish with this. I've spoken of the shining city all my political life, but I don't know if I ever quite communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, it was a tall, proud city, built on rocks stronger than oceans, wind swept, God-blessed, And teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace. A city with free ports that hummed with commerce and creativity. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors. And the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. That's how I saw it and see it still. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible.